0: We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we're going to pick back up in verse 8, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 13. So for those of you who um, are joining us and haven't been present, or those who have missed a little bit, uh, just as a brief reminder and recap, we've been going through the book of First Timothy, and we looked at how specifically this book was written. From Paul to Timothy to encourage him and to instruct him on how to shepherd uh, the people of God, the church. And so our purpose in looking through it was to say, okay, well, what insight can we glean from this and how we ought to function as a church? So we've looked at how the church should function, people within the church, and then we've looked at, started to look at how church leaders should function. We looked at the qualifications and roles of church leaders Specifically, the overseer. We saw that an overseer is the same as an elder, is the same as a pastor, a shepherd. They're all different perspectives on the same office of the church. And so after looking at that, now we are looking at deacons. And last week, we began by looking at the office of deacon outside of 1 Timothy 3. And we saw that there's really not a lot. There's a lot of times when that word is used, but it's not referring to the office. It's just referring to a servant. So we looked at a passage in Acts 6, and we saw this emphasis on spiritual qualifications versus practical qualifications for deacons. So this week, we're going to look closer at 1 Timothy chapter 3, and specifically, I want to look at what are some major observations concerning deacons as they relate with overseers. What's the difference between these two offices? Sometimes in our churches, the the distinct line between the two offices starts to blur. And what happens is they both kind of merge together and you have one new office that kind of serves both of those functions. And so I want to kind of draw out some of the similarities but the differences tonight. And we'll do that next week also. But I've got two major observations tonight and um, we'll go ahead and dive in and look at that. So if you'll look in First Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 8 says deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So as we begin to look at this office, first thing I want to do, I want to look at is a major observation in our text that there's actually a lot of disagreement about. And it's, it's answering this question. Do only men qualify for this office or can there also be female deacons as a precursor to our study i want to say that i have heard tremendously good arguments for both sides in fact i was shocked at how good some of the arguments that disagreed with me were especially in seminaries. as i studied those things what initially seemed so cut and dry may not be so cut and dry i'm going to show you why here in just a second the point is that it's easy to see how someone might come to a different conclusion on this, and I don't think this should be an issue that causes us to look at someone else and say uh, they're not genuine Christians because they have female deacons in their church. Okay, And I'll give you an example, another example of why, is in the Baptist faith and message, which our church says, hey, we believe what's in the Baptist faith and message. It's not Bible, but it's just what the Bible teaches. Well, it was updated in 2000, and there's this clarification in there when it comes to the roles in the church, and it specifies – That according to the Baptist faith and message, we believe that the Bible teaches that the role of pastor is reserved for men. But then they don't add that same qualification for deacons. So there's going to be some churches, some Southern Baptist churches, a lot of them, that have female deacons. And our question is that we need to answer as we come to this is, okay. well, what do we see in the scripture? Should there be female deacons or should there not be? So that's one of the big things we're going to look at. And the reason I bring all this up in this way Is because I want to make sure you understand the prevalence and the severity of the disagreement. I don't think this is something that we should strictly say, because you do it this way, we can't do ministry with you. I just don't think that's the case. We shouldn't break fellowship over this. So now, what what are the arguments? I want you to look at the text, and I want you to see these things for yourself, because you may, at the end of this, come to a different conclusion than I have. Verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. And then if you skim down just a little bit, verse 11, their wives, likewise, must be dignified. And it gives a few. And then if you go down a little bit further, look at verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So those are kind of the three key verses that both sides are going to build their argument off of. And I want you to keep this in mind and to look down at the text as I'm explaining some of these things. I'm going to go ahead and give you my conclusion so you know where I stand. And then I'm going to go back and explain why from this text, answer some arguments that maybe some others would bring up. I believe that this office is reserved for men just like Overseer. And I'm going to show you why here in the text. Number one. If you look here in verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. That phrase should sound very familiar. The reason is, is because when we were looking at overseer, that phrase was an overseer. And if you missed that day, I'm going to give you a real brief summary of that. In the Greek there, it's, it's one woman man. So the overseer is to be what type of man? A one woman man. So it's describing a man. And because it's here in the office of deacon, the husband of one wife, a one woman man, I think that we should understand it the same way. It refers to a man. So at this point, someone might argue, well, you know, in the Greek, you've even mentioned before, sometimes the word order isn't as important. That can change up. And that's true. However, in 1 Timothy 5, just a little bit later in this book, in chapter 5, verse 9... When it's talking about widows, it says let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And your Bible may have a little footnote there. That phrase is the exact opposite of what we're looking at now. This is the widow needs to be a one man woman. What type of woman? A one man type of woman. So I think that that's a good reason to look at it here in deacons and to say, well, the order – Does matter here, and it's referring to a man. Okay, So that's the first reason I think this is talking about an office reserved for men. Number two, it says that they must manage their households well. If you look in verse 12 right after that, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. The responsibility to manage a household biblically is given to men. Men are supposed to be the head of the household. And I'm going to give you a couple of uh, passages that you can write down and look at later for some personal study. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, specifically in verse 3, but looking at everything around it. 1 Corinthians 11. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. And here's what they say. They both say it very similarly. They say the husband is the head of the wife. And they compare that headship... In one passage to how Christ is head of the church in Ephesians and how God is the head of Christ in first Corinthians. So in this teaching, the man woman role in the marriage is to mirror the Christ church relationship and it's to mirror the God Christ relationship. So the question we might ask at this point is, okay, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that, that women are less valuable? And I've heard this, and it I, I'll be honest, it, it's a little frustrating because I think what we do is we assume, well, God, because you didn't make me this other way, you must not love me as much as you love this person. I love my wife. I love my wife. And she has this thing that she'll do sometimes where she'll say, yeah, but wouldn't you love me more if I was like, that maybe husbands in here your wives have said something similar maybe wives your husbands have said something similar we compare ourselves and what we do to other people and the things that they can do that we can't do or different responsibilities or capabilities and we use that to value ourselves and to say my value is dependent upon what i do your value is not dependent upon what you do All of our value in here is equal, just like every other person on this planet. Our value is equal because we're all made by God in his image. That's where our value comes from. So we begin to warp that when we think, well, because my role or responsibility is different, I must not be valued as much. This is devaluing to women, and I just don't think that's true. And if you want an example as to why I don't think that's true biblically… When it compares the husband and wife in the marriage, the the husband is the head of the wife, just as God is the head of Christ. Would we look at that and say, well, Jesus must not be as valuable as God because God is the head. We wouldn't say that. And we shouldn't say that about our marriages either. What is the relationship between Jesus and God? How can we understand this headship in the family? Well, the doctrine of the Trinity tells us that Jesus and God are equal. They're both God, and yet there's only one God. There's only one God, but there are individual persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each of these is fully God, and each is equal. In the same way, the husband and the wife are equal. So what does it mean that the husband is the head? We've been studying the book of John. I'm going to go ahead and turn over there. John chapter 5. We just looked at this several weeks ago on Sunday mornings. If you want to do some more study on this, you can go to our website and look at the messages tab there and listen to some of those again. But I'm going to read some passages out of John chapter 5 and listen to how it speaks about the relationship between Jesus and the Father. John chapter 5 gonna read verse 19. I'll let you turn there if you'd like to follow along. All these are from John chapter five, so you won't have to do a lot of turning between these. John five nineteen. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. So the son does what he sees the father doing. Look at verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. So the son does the same things the father does. John 5:22. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. So the son does some things that the father doesn't do because the father gives those things over to him. John five twenty three, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. So the son and the father receive equal honor. And finally, in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The son seeks the father's will, not his own. This is how the husband wife relationship works in the home. This is what it means that the that the husband is the head of the household. It means that he is setting the agenda for what the house will be about. And the house looks to the father or the husband to say, what is it we are to live for? What is it that we are to do? It doesn't mean, as some people would say, whatever the husband says, the wife has to do. That is a gross mischaracterization of that command. For God to be the head of Christ means that the Father's will is what guides their roles and their functions without diminishing the inherent value of either one. Same honor, different roles. And this is what it means for the husband to be the head of the wife. The husband sets the direction for the household and models what the family will be about and do different roles, same honor. So why do we get into all of that? All of that is to pull back to deacons and to say, if one of the qualifications here in verse 12 is that the deacons are to manage their children and their households well, we know that that stems from the man's relationship and role in the family unit, and that is to be a manager of his household and to be the head of the household. So I think that this is referring to um, a, an office for a man to fill. I'm going to give you one more reason that I think this is the case. Number three, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says deacons and their wives, and it separates that and gives separate qualifications. I think that if it was referring to deacons, male deacons, and then female deacons, I think it would be giving the same qualification for the office. It doesn't make sense to me that some deacons qualify this way, but then others really just need just these few. Okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The natural reading of the text is that there is the male office of deacon, but that for a particular reason, there's a qualification for the wives of the deacons as well. So we shouldn't interpret this otherwise unless we have a good reason to do so. So at this point, there are some who say, well, I do have a good reason to interpret it differently. And I've, I, again, I'll be honest, I've heard some great arguments. Here are the arguments that I hear for that. And the reason that we're spending so much time on this is because our church actively pursues deacons. We will be doing this soon. And we need to be able to answer the question, should women in the church be considered for this office? If so, what are their qualifications? What disqualifies them? Should it be only men? If so, what qualifies them? What disqualifies them? So this is an important important thing. Here's what some others would suggest. Number one, this is the argument for female deacons. Deacons refers to male deacons. And when it says their wives, that's actually referring to female deacons. And here's what they would say. The word wives there, we've looked at this, doesn't just translate to wives. That word also translates to the word woman, and actually, in my translation in verse eleven, it says their wives likewise. But in the Greek, that word "their" t h e i r is not there. Pun intended. I actually made a note about that. That word is not in the Greek. It's just the word women or wives, and you have to use the context to try to figure out. Is it referring to the women of the deacons, their wives? what's what's being said there? That's the first thing they would say. Number two, they say, well, when it says deacons likewise, and then it says in verse 11, their wives likewise, the word likewise indicates a new office. Overseers must do this. Likewise, deacons must do this. Likewise, female deacons must do this. Number three. They say it would be strange for overseer qualifications to not include qualifications for their wives. But then the deacon qualifications do include qualifications for wives. That doesn't make sense. Therefore, it's not referring to deacons' wives. It's referring to women deacons. I think that's a good argument. Number four. In Romans 16, one through 2, we read about Phoebe, a woman who is referred to as a deacon. Some of your translations may say deaconess. I hope you can see it's possible for someone with a sincere desire to honor God's word, to read this passage and to come to a different conclusion than we do. Some of these arguments are very convincing. Makes a lot of sense. Here's why I'm not convinced of those things. Number one, none of the arguments I just gave you address anything I said in the whole first part of this message. All those points still stand. Number two, the translation of women as wives or the implied T H E I R there isn't an incorrect interpretation. Both of these translations are possible, they're both possible. You have to use the context to determine which one is it really. And I think based on every other argument that we've heard tonight, the correct interpretation of this would be their wives instead of female deacons. Number three, if likewise is a new office, it doesn't make sense why Paul would start talking about male deacons then start talking about female deacons when we get to verse 11, and then go back to male deacons again when we get to verse 12. Additionally, when he does go back to male deacons in verse 12, we don't see the word likewise this time. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I think it's verse 9, we see the word likewise used and it's not referring to an office. So it seems arbitrary to say, because the word likewise is there, it must be a good it must be an office. I don't think you can say that without a good reason to say that. In Philippians one one, we looked at that last week, we see this letter is written to the church in Philippi, and then it lists the elders and the deacons. It doesn't list elders, deacons, female deacons. So I don't think that the word likewise means it's a new office. That just doesn't make sense. Number four, it might seem strange at first that overseer wives aren't mentioned, but all that means is that you can't think of a reason why that would be the case. The argument goes it's strange that the deacon's wives have qualifications, but the pastor's wives don't, and the pastoral role as the preaching role seems like it would be more important. So why would, you not, why would you not have qualifications for them? What this means is you can't think of a reason that would be the case. But just because you can't think of a reason that that would be the case doesn't mean that it's not the case. It just means you don't know why that's that way. And sometimes you're going to come to Scripture and you're going to say, well, that's weird. Why is it like that? The correct response is that because I don't understand it, I'm just going to throw it out and kind of make it say what I want it to say. That's not the right answer. We accept it for what it says and then seek to understand it. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you up front. I'm not copping out of this question. I think I do have a good reason, a good answer to that argument, potentially. I can think of a potential reason. It's reasonable to assume That if deacons are serving their church, their wives are probably serving the church with them. I don't know about you, but when Stacy is doing something at the church and I'm not, I'm going to be with her doing that thing at the church. If I wasn't here teaching, you know where I'd be? Over there with crazy little kids on the ground running around everywhere trying to help her. Deacons are servants of the church, so it makes sense that their wives would probably serve with them. That's tremendously common in the church. Husbands and wives typically try to serve together. In the case of an overseer, the wife does not play a role in his responsibilities. You're not going to see Stacy on stage behind the pulpit preaching. You're not going to see her in staff meeting unless I have to bring her in for something or she makes lovely treats. If you listen to this later, Stacy, we love lovely treats in staff meeting. Love lovely treats. (laughs) But she is not going to be joining in those responsibilities. So it makes sense that that qualification wouldn't be there for overseer wives. Now, I'm not saying that that's the reason that this is this way. What I'm saying is there could be a reason. You don't have to know what the reason is to accept it as it is. And then the last one, the last argument about Phoebe being a female deacon and the word deaconess. The Greek word is not deaconess. It's just deacon, and you have to interpret it that way. And I actually addressed this last week. So if you want to hear the argument for this, again, go to the website. Go to the messages. You can go to last week's. You can listen to that argument there. But basically the conclusion we came to is that's not referring to the office of deacon. That's referring to a servant. Phoebe is a servant of the church, just like there are many servants in the church. Okay, so this is one area of significant agreement between overseer and deacon. I believe that scripturally this office is reserved for men. I know of pastors at churches where they have female deacons, and I think they're doing great ministry. I don't think they're ungodly. I think we've just come to a different conclusion. And there might be some people in here that say, you know, brother, I'm still not convinced. I'm actually convinced the other way. And I would love to sit down and talk with that at some time. But I'm okay being in the same church with you and worshiping the Lord with you because I can see how someone in their strict observance to trying to interpret the scripture as literally as possible might come to a different conclusion on this. But this is the conclusion that I've come to, and I'll let you make up your minds on that. So I want to look at one more observation, and this is going to be good for us to reflect on personally as well. It's really significant. Look at um, let's see, here in verse 9. It says deacons in 8, they must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. In verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. I want to hang out on this one kind of for the remainder of our time. <clears throat> Overseers it says must be able to teach in order to qualify for that office. Okay? This is in verse 2, chapter 3 verse 2. Husband of one wife, sober minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. You do not see that qualification for deacon. Deacons are not required to be able to teach. There's going to be some deacons, they think about teaching, and they break out in sweats. Okay, It's okay. That's not what that office is intended for. The office is a service office. Okay, When we think about overseers and them being able to teach, because that's one of the functions of the pastors of the church, they lead through teaching. What do they teach? They teach the faith. So we talked about how they need to have a very... Very solid grasp on the faith. Doctrine. Theology. What does the Bible teach? What does the Bible not teach? How do we piece together all of our views and ideas about God into one coherent systematic theology? That's the kind of thing a pastor needs to be able to do. He needs to have a deep understanding of the faith. But now we see that deacons are to hold the mystery of the faith. This holding of the mystery of the faith is different than the overseer's grasp of the faith. A deacon does not have to be knowledgeable in the faith to the level that an overseer is. I don't expect a deacon to be able to give a full account and expositional teaching from Scripture on all these fine points of theology. I don't expect that. Why? Because the qualification isn't here, and they are not overseeing the ministries of the church or preaching to the church. They're not engaged in that. That's not to say that they can't teach or shouldn't teach. There are many deacons that do teach. And if they do teach, then yes, their knowledge of the faith needs to be well established. But for those that don't teach, I don't think that's what this phrase means. I want you to look at the rest of the verse there. It says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This means that the faith that they proclaim is what they live by. This is what it means for them to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must display a sincere faith. 1 Timothy 4.2 says, I'm going to read it for you real quick. Verse one says the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So there's going to be some who depart from the faith. Verse two. How does that happen? Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. If you have a different translation there and. Excuse me. Instead of insincerity of liars, it may say the hypocrisy of liars. The word for insincere in the ESV, it's insincere. But the Greek word is hypocrisis, where we get hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Some will depart the faith because these people will come in. And say one thing, but live another way. They're hypocrites. They proclaim a faith. They don't live that faith. And what does it say about their consciences in verse 2? Their consciences are seared. As we live contrary to the gospel, our conscience feels it. It's our God-designed warning system. Something's wrong. And we feel it. But some of us, when we feel that pain, we ignore it and it scabs over. An example I give to students. Whenever I was in student ministry and they would be struggling with a certain sin. And they would say, yeah, you know, I just I don't feel convicted about this. And I would always ask them a question. How long have you been struggling with this? And it is almost always an extended period of time. I would say, okay, think back to when you first started struggling with this. And they say, okay. When you first started struggling with it, did you feel convicted about it then? They'd say, Well, yeah. And they would have their excuses for that. I would say, here's what I think has happened. Imagine you put a band-aid on, especially for some of you guys in here, super hairy arms, put a band aid on and just rip that bad boy off. Okay? Feel, I want you to imagine and feel the pain of that experience. Then you take the same Band-Aid, after you've taken it off, put it right back on, and then you take it off again. And I would always ask this question. Is it going to hurt more, less, or equally the second time? Most of the time, the student will say less. Sometimes you get them, they're like, just as much. I'm like, oh, dude, okay. So you do it 100 times. Is it going to feel the same way a hundred times? And now it's going to be okay, no, it's not. No, it hurts less and less. You put it back on again, take it off again. Put it back on again, take it off again. Well, eventually you put the bandaid on, it's just going to fall off. You don't feel that anymore. The ripping of something off of your skin shouldn't feel pleasant, but the more you do it, the more you feel it. Or imagine for some of you, maybe that took guitar lessons a long time ago. You start playing and you're excited to play the guitar and you start pushing on the strings, but then you notice... After about 20 minutes or so, if you can last that long, your fingers are really hurting. And you look, and there's like these dark lines going straight across your fingers. And maybe one of them is bleeding. And you're like, this is supposed to be fun. This is terrible. Why would anybody do this? And then your teacher instructs you. They're like, you have to keep practicing. And eventually what's going to happen is you're going to build up calluses on your fingers, and you won't feel that anymore. And you're like, you're a liar. Well, then sure enough, weeks later, the more you practice, those calluses build up. And then that tiny, thin little piece of metal doesn't pierce your skin like it used to. Because of repeated use, that callus is built up. It's the same thing here with these liars. Their insincerity, their hypocrisy. They proclaim a faith, they live contrary to it, and their conscience hurts. But the more they do it, the less they feel it because their conscience becomes seared. The deacons, this qualification, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. We see the same thing in verses 12 through 13. Look down to verse 12. It says, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. We looked at that. Verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So the deacons and their faith is not so that they can teach like the overseers. It's so that they would be spiritual examples. They need to follow the faith that they proclaim. It's okay if they're not systematic theologians. And in the same way, here in verse 12, we have another similar uh, a similarity between the two offices. Managing their children and their households well. So we might look at that and say, well, see, the deacons do manage the church because the qualification is that they need to manage their children well. And for overseers, they manage their children well so they can manage the church. So it must be the same for deacons. But again, this is the exact same thing that we just looked at. Look at the rest of the, of the passage. Let them be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. Verse 13 Four. It's giving us the reason. Why is it they need to manage their, their children well? Because, verse 13, 4, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So just like the mystery of the faith This qualification to manage their households well isn't quite like the overseer qualification. The overseers are to manage well because they need to manage the church. But that's not what's given here. The deacons are to manage well for two reasons. Number one, as a deacon, they are going to have a good reputation as deacon. There is something about being known as a deacon of the church instantly. When you come into that church, you know Okay, this is who the church says exemplifies godliness. So I can look up to this brother, and I can imitate what he does. Deacons gain a good standing for themselves, a good reputation. Therefore, they ought to manage their households well so that they can live up to that reputation. Number two, deacons are to manage well because their office gives them confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They are encouraged in their faith because I was brought up to be a deacon. Most deacons, when that happens, you'll probably get this type of response. I don't know if I'm the man for that. uh, I'm not a godly example. And it takes someone else coming up and saying, no, brother, you are a godly example. And I'm telling you, you need to be a deacon in the church. Well, that would give, if that was me, that would give me some confidence in my faith. I would say, oh, okay. You know what? Yeah, I'm following Christ and I'm doing all that. Yeah, it gives me confidence. But how bad would it be for that deacon to have confidence? Because his life wasn't examined and he's not godly, but he was brought up to serve as a deacon because he knows how to manage things well. And that's it. He was a manager at this business that's really renowned for years and years. He knows everybody in the community. He'd be a great deacon. But he doesn't manage his household well. He doesn't walk in godliness. And he's thinking, this church has chosen me to be an example to them. I guess I'm doing things okay. That's why the deacon needs to manage his household well. It's not because he's going to be managing the church We do not see that in Scripture. It's not there. If you come across something you think you found it, I would love to see it. I don't think that you'll be able to provide it. It's not there. This office is elevated to an honorable position. Therefore, the deacons need to live honorable lives. That means being an honorable husband, an honorable father, raising your children well. All of this is to say that the office of deacon, just like the office of overseer, I believe is limited to men. But unlike the office of overseer, the office of deacon is not an office of ministry oversight or decision making. Rather, it's an office of genuine servitude that stems from a genuine faith. That's what a deacon is, or that's what a deacon ought to be. If your deacon starts to function outside of that mold, that's not to say things won't work out well in the end. I'm sure things will work out okay. But it's to say that's not what we see in Scripture. So some application for us to kind of dwell on tonight as I close out. We might ask this question of ourselves. How is my conscience? Is my conscience convicted or hurt when I think about living the faith? It's really easy to look at someone else and to gauge how much of a hypocrite they are. It's very easy to do that. Most people do that the moment they walk into a church, especially if they're not believers. All they see is hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. (laughs) That's all of us. It's so easy to see it in other people, but it's so hard to see it in ourselves. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about how hard it is to approach someone else you love and to say, I think you're being hypocritical here? That's very difficult to say. So if no one else is telling me I'm a hypocrite... And I'm not recognizing I'm a hypocrite. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to be stuck in this trap for a long time. So this is an opportunity for us to look at ourselves with sober judgment and to say, am I living the faith that I've proclaimed? Technically, all of us, deacons included, are subject to the charge of hypocrisy. None of us are expected to live perfectly perfectly according to everything we see in scripture you will not be perfect here's what we are expected to do pursue it pursue it do you see something you're falling short in you're called to pursue seeking holiness in that area that does not mean you'll be perfect what it means is that justification well i'm not perfect is not going to lead you into more sin you're going to pursue holiness. That's what that means. When you are doing that, you can be confident that you were in the faith. A hypocrite recognizes an error or a sin or a lack of obedience and says, eh, well, nobody's perfect. But a genuine Christian recognizes it and says, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me turn from this sin. Correct me and and send me something or someone to help me in this. That's what a genuine Christian will say. A genuine Christian fights temptation. They turn from sin when it becomes manifest. And sometimes they're unsuccessful, but they still fight. How is it with you? Like that famous hymn Is it well with your soul? If you need to confess something right now, I would just challenge you to do that in just a moment when we're praying. Pray to the Lord and say, God, I have been a hypocrite here. And tell him the reason why you're only confessing it now. Maybe it's because I just didn't see it before. But the Spirit's revealing that to you now. That's a work of the Spirit in you. Maybe it's because... You saw it before, but you were running from that. And now the Spirit is convicting you, and you feel that pain, and you're saying, okay, I'm ready to stop running from this. Whatever the reason is, in just a moment, confess it. And if you need to confess, is it because deep down you know that you're not really born again? If that's the case, I would love to talk with you after this. Love to talk with you about it. But if not, let's all pursue conformity to the faith that we proclaim. Let's not give the world another reason to look at us and say their faith isn't genuine. This better be especially true of our deacons, but it better be true of us as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this office of Deacon, and we see the high calling that you've placed on this office as we meet with this sobering expectation for our deacons, for the candidates who will be considered to be deacons. Father, do not allow us to fall into the trap of thinking that holiness is meant for people like that and not people like me. Would you open our eyes to our hypocrisy? Not just the hypocrisy of other people, like potential deacon candidates, or people in our church, or people at work, or at school, or wherever we go. Open our eyes to our own hypocrisy. Help us to see where we are not living out the things that we proclaim. If our consciences have been seared by these things, would you give us? fresh flesh to feel that pain when it hits so that we can recognize it and turn from it father would you help us to be alert for and to see before we step into those traps that the enemy lays for us for us to step into he desires to discredit us and your gospel through the way that we live and we ask you to help us to pay attention to those things Father, would you not allow our hearts to be inclined to anything evil, but give us a pure, holy desire for you. Fix our eyes upon you. Fix our eyes upon your son as a model for our faith. Make us more like him every single day. I thank you that you sent him to die in our place to bear your wrath against sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you help us to live in accordance to that truth that we proclaim every day. We pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.